Heather Greenwood Davis, you are an internationally renowned, award-winning travel writer. You make guest spots on TVs across the globe. You run a site called globetrottingmama.com. You're also a wife, a mom of two boys. I thank you sincerely for taking the time today to join me on the Fact Up podcast. Hey, I'm excited to be here. This is going to be great. Uh, what, what does downtime look like for you? <laughs> right off the top. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, downtime. I don't know how to do downtime. I love what I do and I am doing it all the time uh, for better, for worse. Uh, sadly, I do not know a lot about downtime, but do tell. <laughs> I, I don't, you know what, for, for me, my mind, uh, if you're asking me, my mind is yeah. working. It's always on. Yeah. And my partner Same. has a hard time understanding um, how and why and urges me to maybe take a break. I can't do it. Right. I can't. I'm the same. Yeah. And, and even, I, if I I'm, even if I'm on a couch, I'm, if I'm watching a show, I'm thinking about the destinations they're in. If I am reading a magazine, I'm wondering about the people in the story and, you know, wow, this could be great for another story or what have you. I don't, I don't do downtime well. Let me ask you a side question. You know, sure. you know that commercial where um, at the end of the day, uh, you're exhausted and they urge you to hop on a fitness machine where someone in an exotic location is actually motivating you to do the exercises. I can't think of that machine off the top of my head. But is do it you know like, what? I think I know what you mean. Yeah. So if, you're, if you've had a long day and you need to work out, right, and you get on this machine, I'm in your TV screen in Machu Picchu, and I'm urging right. you to climb this mountain, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. For, for me, uh, that would be a demotivator, an unmotivator, <laughs> because I'm not actually in Peru. I would be in yeah. Toronto watching someone else climb that mountain while I'm suffering on this machine in the city. Your thoughts? 100%, 100%. I, I am all in for, I want to see that destination. Um, I like shows that show us people in, in destinations, but all they are for me are fodder to getting to that destination, right? Like I'm not that interested in just watching somebody else climb the mountain, as you say. I, I want to be out there. And they want you to pay two grand for it. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> right? I know. Well, Socrates is once quoted as saying, I'm not an Athenian or a Greek, but I am a citizen of the world. On your website, you talk about how you and the hubby uh, raising global citizens. What does that mean? Yeah. And why is that important for you? Oh, that is at the crux of everything I do. So yes, I have two sons, Ethan and Cameron. They are now uh, just turned 19 and 16, almost 17. Um, and we decided in 2010 or thereabouts that we were going to do this um, around the world trip. And the reason we did that was entirely because we wanted to show these kids that the neighborhoods they were growing up in weren't the entire world. And I think we forget as we grow how when we're little, we absolutely think that way, right? I don't know if you've had the experience of, I have, of going back to like your elementary school. Mm -hmm. And you're like, how did the, you know, the coat hooks shrink? Like I remember, you know, these coat hooks, like straining to get up to put your, your bag up for the day or whatever. And you go back a few years later and you realize, oh my gosh, this was such a tiny place. And it felt so massive at the time. And I think what happens to kids in particular is that they, they do that. The school environment, you know, their, their block becomes the whole world. 
And then all decisions that happen in there take on this macro importance, right? Like, you know, you're, the person down the street doesn't want to be your friend. Like, whoa, that's like, you know, one eighth of the population of people right. you know doesn't right. want to be your friend. Totally different if you take them out into the world and they start to realize, you know, there are a lot of more things out here. There are a lot of other people I've yet to meet and it just opens them up to that. So we really wanted that for our kids and, you know, quite honestly for ourselves, right? Even as adults, we, we wanted to expand our, our, our understanding of the planet. What was the aha moment though? Was there something specific that happened that, that triggered that desire, that motivation, that inspiration to travel with your kids? No, um, you know, we always had a dream of doing something like that, but I think we knew it was the right time. I mean, there were a lot of external factors that just pointed to being the right time. My husband at his work had an opportunity where he could do the time. I had just left a, a career in the law where I decided that I was not going to do that anymore. So I had more control over my time as a freelancer. But with the kids, for me, it was, I could sense. So they would have been six and eight at the time that we went. And I could sense already the pull from the family dynamic where, you know, one parent was taking one kid to soccer and the other one had to get the other one to skating. Or, you know, they were coming home stressed at the end of a school day because I don't know if you've spent any time in a school lately, but that bell goes off. It's like a regimented thing. Eat your lunch, put your fork down, go outside, come inside. Like it's a constant hmm. um, presence. And I wanted to sort of relieve them of that burden. So I wanted an opportunity where we were going to eat when we were hungry. We were going to sleep when we were tired. We were going to just, you know, listen to our bodies ourselves and also be together as a unit. Have the four of us spend some real quality time together to really build that bond so that whatever was going to come our way, you know, we were at that point sort of thinking, oh, they're going to be teenagers. What are teenage years going to be like? Spoiler alert, best years ever. But uh, <laughs> anyway, right. they, we, we knew at that point that we really wanted that family solidified. And travel does that, right? You need to depend on each other when you're out there. That's great, Heather. And you did it and good for you. You did it with kids. You did it with the hubby. But what is in it, what, what's in it for me is maybe what the average parent will say. Um, yeah. how, did, how did you manage that financially? How did you manage that um, uh, you know, psychologically? Uh, how, did you, how did you manage that as a, as a family unit? Yeah. You know, first of all, I hope nobody thinks, and I really try not to, sort of put forward any sort of idea that like um, our family is perfect or, you know, we never, we never fought one of the, we had an argument um, almost out of the gate, my husband and I, I'm trying to remember what city it was, um, might've been Colombia or Argentina. Anyway, we, uh, you know, we had some sort of argument and he was like, you know what, I need a break. And I was like, yeah, me too. And so each of us grabbed one kid and we stormed off mm -hmm. and, didn't realize the place was so small that we actually ended up bumping into each other like within. And I was like, you know what? Right. Um, <laughs> there's right. nowhere to run, right? So you sort of have to deal with all that. But yes, yeah, so we paid uh, for this ourselves. We so sold a car. We rented out our home. We got rid of all our bills. We had a very poorly attended garage sale that made <laughs> us, like I think we lost money on, but we did what we could that way. It was really sure. bad. Um, we cashed in RSPs. We like, this was really quite the investment from us. Um, I did try to get support. So, you know, as a travel writer, often the places I go, a destination will help me. And there were a few destinations along the way, cause I was working throughout the year, right. um, four seasons stepped up. And so we had, a, a arrangements with them where I was able to write for some of their outlets. 
And that gave us a night or two in some of their uh, gorgeous hotels along the way. Um, but it was, it was a sacrifice. I wouldn't even say it's a sacrifice. It was a choice, right? We very quickly decided that this was more important than, you know, the extra coffee today or, or, you know, listen, retirement savings, right? Like it was, it was serious decision-making. And quite frankly, my husband and I were talking about the other day, we think we're just sort of coming out of it. Like we've probably spent the last 10 years getting back to where we were financially before we did this. So there was definitely a cost to it. I'd pay it twice over. Yeah. The, the, what we've received out of this trip, what my kids have got out of this trip, the people they are as a result of this trip, my career as a result of that trip, it was the best investment uh, I could have made in my family, in my personal life, in my professional life. Because you can't get that time back and, and the value that was, that was uh, invested in that time. Uh, yeah, you, the money you could always make back and it could take exactly. Time, but that time with your kids and your family, uh, even the fight, fight yeah. is, is, a, is valuable, right? Yeah, even that fight we said, uh, you know, like, we're like, okay, so this trip is either going to, we'll come back and separate or, you know, we're good, we're good to go because <laughs> it really is going to test us for a year, right? That's We're what still travel together, does. So, so that's far, that's so what travel does. And, and I'm very happy about that. Uh, I'll give you another quote. If not for my kids, my travel writing career might never have happened. I owe it all to motherhood. Heather yeah. Greenwood Davis. Explain. Yeah. So I started my career as a travel writer when I was pregnant. Um, I was uh, home. I can't remember what the situation was, but I was home. I uh, was reading a fit pregnancy magazine, which is hilarious. But anyway, I was reading the pregnancy magazine. At the back of this magazine was a tiny blurb about a baby spa, which at the time was unheard of, but was basically this idea that very wealthy women were going off to this like 10 day retreat at this, I mean, NFL football wives and, and that sort of thing, um, where they were getting fashion shows and you know, they were being massaged twice a day and what have you. And I thought, this, this is a thing I could get behind. Um, I had journalism experience, so I contacted the travel department at the Toronto Star at the time. I said to them, hey, I found a great story for you. And I am, you know, particularly well suited at this moment uh, to, to write it for you. And I was working in law at the time as a lawyer at the time and took the time off and went and did that story ran in front of the travel section, did really well. They offered me a column and that was it. I went from there on, then on, my weekends and evenings were all about family travel. So had I not been pregnant, I would not, I literally would not have uh, been reading that magazine, I hope, and then wouldn't have been off uh, doing that. That's incredible. And if you, if you guys go to, the, uh, to Heather's website, you're going to see a very accurate photo. It's actually a, a GIF, GIF, whatever they call it, of, <laughs> yeah. of Heather dancing uh, while pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> but you mentioned law. You mentioned law. In 2007, you're still practicing law. Uh, you ditch it for a, a life of travel writing. Um, yes. Why? And, and what was the reaction you got from family? <laughs> yeah, you know what? It's funny because my family, when I finally came to the point where I was like, I can't do this, uh, the why is I really didn't like it. I wasn't well suited for it. I was in litigation. I was at a large law firm. It was round the clock. Um, I didn't find that the value system of the firm was uh, in line with what I wanted for my life. I wasn't happy with who I was being. I actually fell into a state of depression, diagnosed depression. 
and I still stayed. And the reason I stayed, I think, was that I was sort of waiting for permission to leave, you know, from my family. I felt like I owed it to my, my husband, to my kids, to provide a certain lifestyle because I had this option to do that. And that walking away from that would be a bad thing. The fact is, when I finally came around and sort of said it to my husband and voiced it to my parents and so on, they were all like, none of us want you there. Like, we don't like who you are becoming. We don't like how unhappy you are. You know, this relationships probably won't work out if you continue working like this. Nobody wants this. What do you want? And so at that point, I had already been freelancing because, as I mentioned, when I did that first story for my son, I was still working. So, you know, I just sort of began to transition that. So I left in 2007 um, and we went on our trip in 2011. And yeah, it's just been ongoing since then. You know, it's funny because uh, for, for super successful people and, and, and for those who are uh, on the road to success, I find that there is a, a career slash job that people are usually in. They become mm -hmm. a certain person. I'll speak personally. I was in television for 15 years. Mm -hmm. And over time, it, it became... Um, uh, very depressing. It, it didn't become so much about the content as it became more about a popularity contest. It wasn't so mm -hmm. much about intelligence as it was more about the ratings. Great. Everyone's mm -hmm. got an agenda. But I find that there's always a trigger. And for me, it was going kind of more on a digital side, on a personal side, on a food-related side, on a travel mm -hmm. side. Um, and, I, and I find that it's, it's pretty common. Your story is very common in that you're, you're in a career, but you're, you're becoming a person that... Um, is somewhat more miserable, um, yes. not, not the person that we know to glow and shine like you do. Mm. And you, you take that twist in the road and, and, and it actually saves relationships. Um, and mm -hmm. you might take a cut in the paycheck, you might take a cut in the hours, Absolutely. right? Of course. <laughs> but it's funny how you learn how money really doesn't make you happier um, as much as you may have first thought when you started the career. Is that fair? 100%. 100% percent. I, you know, a thousand percent. Um, I would not change my time at the law firm for anything. It taught me so much about what I didn't want. Right. <laughs> it taught me, it made me realize it was my experience there. I did not come from a family that was, <coughs> excuse me, wealthy or I was the first lawyer in my family. I mean, my extended family ever. It was a big deal in my mind anyway. Um, <clears throat> you know, but um, the, what I realized very quickly as the money started to come in was that people still weren't happy. I was surrounded by a lot of people, not everyone, but I was surrounded. I saw enough examples of people who were making more money than I thought could be made. Um, and were very unhappy personally, professionally, they felt trapped by it. They were purchasing things or, you know, mansions or what have you that they then couldn't get out from under. And so that kept them stuck in the job. And so there were a lot of lessons around money and what I valued around money. I also realized very quickly that when the more money you make, the more, the less a dollar means, you know? Mm -hmm. So if you're making millions and a dollar's nothing, it's like a dime, you, you throw it away. If you're only making a hundred bucks, that dollar means something. And it, it doesn't sort of carry with you. So I realized that it wasn't really how much money you made. It was what you were doing with it and how happy you were. And that money versus time thing, that was huge. And that totally came from that time because a lot of the people I was around didn't have any, they weren't taking vacations. Right.
I mean, there's a, there's a renaissance period I find that's, that's occurred because of COVID. And mm -hmm. I feel like there's a lot of people, uh, based on articles that I've been reading, they, they refuse to kind of go back to their jobs. Um, and I, I, I feel like it's maybe kind of a, a transition period for a lot of people. How do you talk to someone on the fence about what move they should make next and the courage and the tenacity that they may need to actually persevere and push through? Yeah, I think the one thing I would want to make clear is that um, while it does take some courage to, to do it, I would never want anyone to think that like I, you know, I, I didn't jump at the height, right? I, I was at the point where the decision was, are you going to go and do something that is going to make you happy and is going to allow you to have a healthy life? Or are you going to stay in something that is dragging you down physically, emotionally, relationship-wise, what have you. Like I was very much, there was really very little choice left by the time I made the jump. You know, it wasn't like I was, I saw it in the future or anything like that. It was, it was I was at the point where I had to go. If I didn't go, it was not going to be a good outcome on the other end. I, I do admire people who jump earlier, who recognize that earlier. And I think if you are at the crossroads, I think it's good to recognize you're there. But I also think, um, you know, look at what you're leaving and make sure what you're leaving is what you want to leave. Worry less about what you're jumping into. If you're interested in something, that's great and you're going to go. But don't stay in anything that, that is not meant for you. Do not stay in a place because you will run out of time. You will. And so it's so important that people don't squander that. You cannot get it back. You know, it's that whole thing about, you know, on your deathbed, nobody says, I wish I'd spent more time at the office, right? At the same time, like very realistically, people have to earn a living. So it may not be for everyone that it's a, a complete break. Remember, you, you said that I left when I was pregnant, which isn't quite true because I was pregnant. So 2002, I had my first. Mm -hmm. I wrote that story 2002. I had another child in 2004. Um, I was still working at the law firm. What I did do is I leaned heavier into my writing as of 2002. And, and by 2004, when I had the second child, I was in a different department. I was no longer doing litigation at the firm. I was working in a knowledge management capacity. So I was, it was a more uh, nine to five type of, of job so that I had time. So you can transition. It doesn't have to be a jump but definitely be very clear about what you're leaving. Sure. Yeah. Steve Harvey talks about that all the time about at one point you have to jump. <laughs> yeah. But taking yeah. this sooner or later. Taking, yeah. But taking the steps, reasonable steps to ensure that you have something that uh, what will make you happy on the other side. Right. Yeah. Um, back, back to travel. What have, and this is all part of travel, but it's, it's an amazing it glimpse into, into, uh, you know, uh, transition and decisions and investment and time. Uh, but as far as your kids, what have your kids taught you about travel? Uh, so much. Um, you know, the little one, so who is now 16, when he was traveled with me, they both traveled from birth and, the, you know, the one from in utero. Um, but the little one when we were, was six when we went and one of the overarching arguments we got about against us going from, you know, strangers um, <laughs> was, was um, kids aren't going to remember it. You know, why are you doing this? The kids aren't going to remember it. And I remember feeling really strongly at the time that like, hey, I, I exist. Um, I have a memory and uh, I don't need them to remember it. I need them to absorb it. 
right? I don't need them to remember every step we took. I can give them pictures for that. I want them to absorb it. I want to know, want them to know what it feels like to be out in the world, to be valued in different ways, to value other people in different ways, to see the pyramids, to touch the, I want them to remember those moments. Um, and he has, you know, he doesn't always remember every uh, specific thing we did. That's fine. There's three other people here who can fill him in on that but he definitely has absorbed some of the ideals that were important to us as a family then and now, right? In terms of respect of other cultures, in terms of, you know, being humbled in places, remembering that your normal isn't everybody's normal and that your normal may not be, you know, right. You know, all of those lessons he's absorbed. He's now a kid who he has his own uh, clothing brand. It's called 721 Merchandise. It's all about unity and travel throughout the world. That's all him. That has nothing to do with me in terms of, you know, my brand or what have you. He speaks on, on issues, Black Lives Matter, Indigenous issues, um, you know, just speaking for e equality among people. That's all him. But I totally believe that it's because he's been exposed to so many different people through his travels that that has happened. And my other son in a different way, he's not front facing, he's not all over social media, media. he's not uh, leading a business, but in the way that he deals with people and the decisions he's made about his own studies and what he wants to do, travel filters in there too. And let me tell you, people keep talking about, you know, those 18 years, you've only got 18 summers, crap. You know, like my kids are, not, the 19 year old is going with us on a trip this, summer and no pushback whatsoever. So I do think travel has been such a unifying force in our life and has been ever present in theirs. We're talking about life lessons now. Yeah. Huge life lessons, humility, yeah. and respect and, and appreciation and perspective. Who do you want your kids to be? Right. You know, travel has allowed me to do that. You're a keynote speaker. You're, you know, storyteller, contributing writer, National Geographic, uh, Globe and Mail, a national here based in Canada. Um, talk about your personal, personal and professional evolution as it relates to storytelling. Like what types of stories uh, inspired you five years ago and what type of stories inspire you today? Same ones. Mm. Um, yeah, some evolution. Yeah. Has been. Um, same ones. I love people. I am absolutely fascinated by anything I don't know, which is a lot. Um, yeah. And I, I love the opportunities to delve into that. So National Geographic has been great for that. But so too, I'm working on a, a podcast actually now, uh, we're taping now, which is, you know, on its face, it's a business travel podcast. And cool. on its face, it's, um, I'm talking to not just people in the industry, I'm actually talking with a surfer, um, a fruit uh, specialist, a uh, climate change guy, like people who you're like, mm, what does that have to do with travel? I love it because I'm delving into stories that have depth and interest. I'm never climbing that mountain that this climatologist climbs. I have nothing to do with the industry that imports fruit into the country. Like these things on their face don't um, seem to resonate with my life, but the lessons are so universal. And I love stories that allow us to connect with people in that way and find the similarities in, in what we're doing. So yeah, it, it really, it really hasn't changed. When I started, I was writing columns. So I do a lot of first person type narration. I love finding the life lessons in any uh, experience. So a lot of it's experiential, but sort of tied back to more common themes. 
Yeah, I don't think I've changed that much. Probably not even from my journal writing as a kid. Like it, it's sort of the same, the same types of things that fascinate me. Universal fascinations that yeah. are timeless, right? What, what positives come from COVID as they relate to travel? I hope, you know, and, and it still remains to be seen, but I really hope that, you know, on the one hand, people who couldn't travel and were used to traveling realize what a privilege that was and that they take that with them going forward. I hope that people who were hesitant to travel or who were putting it off now realize that that choice could be taken away from them. I hope that we, and I think we're still learning this lesson as vaccinations roll out in different ways in different parts of the world. I hope we are thinking a little bit more about you know what we take when we go to these places mm-hmm. and what we take for granted and the fact that not everybody is is getting a vaccine and can just sort of you know pose with their band-aid and and move on with life there are a lot of people who who you know are losing a lot of you know friends and and uh, family all over the world here at home too but i think i think for the large part we're looking i'm thinking about people in in other parts of the world and i hope we we take that knowledge with us when we get back out there but let's not forget that on the other side of the planet, there's not, people aren't going through things at the same, the same way we were. And when you ask me about what's happened, you know, what did the trip give us or what did we learn from, from our trip? You know, that was one of the biggest lessons is it's something else to look at your country from outside of it, especially for any prolonged period of time, you know, to be sitting in, I remember this, um, I think we were in a room in Nairobi. It was New Year's Eve, uh, 2012. And uh, we were trying to find something to watch with the kids on TV. And we happened across entertainment tonight. And it looked so strange. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was such a weird thing to be seeing from outside the country, something you take for granted. So I think those perspectives, as you mentioned, I think um, that's what you get from that. And I think we need to take that kind of perspective with us out of this COVID experience. Right. Let's do, uh, let's do some rapid fire. I got 10 questions for you. There's nothing rapid about oh, it, okay? Take, uh, take your time. There's nothing rapid, okay? Describe, okay? describe your travel style in three words. Um, listy. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's a new word. Yeah. Um, laid back. Travel style. And uh, anxious. Maybe? anxious yeah okay that's that's pretty that's pretty common are you yeah. are you the, are you the type to feel anxious before a trip like a day or two I'm ex- before I'm excited before a trip um once I am en route I want to be there got it I'm not someone who enjoys you know I like being on the plane and in fact it's worse coming home I I don't mind the all the process to get to a place as long as it's within reason but once I am done, once it's time to get on the plane and go home, I would like to wiggle my nose bewitch style and just be home. <laughs> you know? I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah. Do you have yeah. a favorite word? I don't think so. God, can a writer have a favorite word? I think that would be bias. Yeah, it's um, a little bias, but you can. You have the full right. <laughs> I, don't, I do not think I have a favorite word. Um, I say absolutely a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go with that. Let's go with that. What, is, what does happiness look like for you? 
Wow. You know, I think I'm in it and as, or as close to it as, as one gets. Happiness for me is a, a family that's healthy and safe. Happiness for me is, um, you know, doing what I love to do and, and meeting new people and having opportunities to, to share stories that I think matter, that, that makes me happy. Um, freedom, you know, so the more we open up a little bit, that, that makes me happy. Um, yeah, I've got very little to complain about. My life is not perfect by any stretch, um, but yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm living happiness. <laughs> Favorite travel themed movie? Ooh, oh my god! Travel themed? Yeah, nice backdrops makes you want to hop on a plane, a train, uh, a boat. Every movie. Every single movie. Like, honestly, as long as you leave an apartment, I'm interested in where you are. Um, the ones that jump to mind for me is, oh, gosh, what's the Diane? Is it Diane Lane? No. Uh, Tuscany. In Tuscany. Yeah. Under the Tuscan I've, Sun. That's the yeah. classic. Yeah. Um, that definitely was good for me. Uh, Eat, Pray, Love. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't love the movie, but I loved seeing the countries in the movie. Um, I'd say those were two of them. Annie, the original, only the original. Gotcha. Running through the streets of New York. That's a good one. I cried once on the way back from Greece watching The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. Okay. And it had nothing to do with the pants. It had to do with the <laughs> fact that it was filmed in Greece and I was coming back to Scarborough and uh, it was going to be winter. I, I bawled on the plane. Full disclosure. Fair enough. No embarrassment. Fair enough. <laughs> what, what's something you could eat every day? My mother's cooking uh jamaican food can't though but could but should not (laughs) um uh, (laughs) bad idea um but yeah those would do it oh like also like italian food in italy almost almost really any food in its original habitat i mean right what irritates you the most about travel selfishness but that's my pet peeve generally i don't like whether it is i don't like people who are rude so i don't like people who treat other people poorly whether that is your tour guide or the chef at the restaurant or the uh, clerk or the flight attendant that that irritates me very quickly um you know and i also don't like people who aren't considerate of other people on the plane uh, so don't stick your foot up between the seats, between me, you know, recognize that we've all got our own little pocket of space, those kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned mom's cooking. What's your go-to Jamaican meal? Oxtail and gravy, white rice, but See I'll also take See rice and peas and jerk chicken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, is there a place that you like going to in the city that, that has really great food? Jamaican food? Yeah. No, you know, Albert's is the classic. Yeah. That's the one, you know, usually if we're, if we're really hankering for it. But honestly, I like it at home, you know. I like it at home or in Jamaica. Yeah, well, naturally, yeah. right? What's on your road trip mixtape? Oh, my gosh. It's embarrassing how uh, diverse and eclectic we are. Uh, I caught my kids were outside with my husband. They were painting the fence last week. And it was a steady stream of musicals. <laughs> uh, coming and they blast it like the whole neighborhood knows we're weird but um, 
Yeah, we have musicals on there. We have, uh, you know, R&B, a lot of R&B, a lot of classic R&B. Um, my kids are old souls. So a lot of 60s and 70s cool. music on there. Yeah. Cool. It's a mix. What's the one thing you do to immerse yourself in a moment while abroad? Hmm. I think probably the times that I feel the most immersed in places are when I am in busy places. So I like, you know, markets. Um, I like seeing people doing things that they do on a normal basis. I go to grocery stores and drug stores whenever I can in destinations. I like to see people just out doing their regular shopping stuff. So that's important to me. And sort of anywhere that locals, congregate. I, I posted a photo recently um, uh, the, of us in India, and I remember that moment so well, where we, we came out of the place we were staying. We'd rented a room in this place, and we came out and didn't realize that it was sort of like local custom to be out on the beach in the evening as the sun was setting, just strolling or what have you. Those kinds of moments when you get to, through luck or planning or what have you, you get to be a part of a community in that way. Love that. Absolutely. Final question. What does travel mean to you? Travel to me is a privilege. Um, you know, it's something that I take, uh, I don't take lightly. The, the fact that I can be out there, an opportunity, I feel like it's the thing that's going to keep us all connected. And um, yeah, travel is love. Travel is life. Heather Greenwood Davis, I thank you so much for taking the time today. I, I, uh, I love what you do. I love your vibe. I love the energy. And I, I, I wish that you, know, you and your family continued health, happiness, and success moving forward. And uh, I really hope sincerely to see you in, in some events in person as we kind of uh, tunnel out of this dark period and into some light. Um, I thank you so much, and I, I, I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on and, and congrats to you. This is awesome. And, and thanks. I can't wait to see you soon.